0: So, yeah, it's really good to be able to finally um, sort of preach this sermon. Last time I was supposed to do it, I wasn't very well. Some of you might remember. And my wife very graciously came in to my aid and preached a sermon that she'd prepared. So, that was a, a number of weeks ago. So, it's really, really great to be able to be here. I wonder what anybody's experience is of fishing. Okay, I've got a picture of fishing up, and that's going to be the background for my PowerPoint. I wonder what people's experiences are with fishing. It might be that fishing is a hobby for you. It might be something that you've done sort of semi regularly. It might be like me, and it might be something you've done once or twice in your life. It might be something that you've only ever seen or watched on TV. And I wonder if anybody's watched uh, Bob Mortimer and Paul Whitehouse on BBC Two. Uh, I absolutely love this program. I just think that their friendship is just so lovely and really heartwarming. It's a really, really lovely. Um, thing to watch. So I strongly recommend it if you haven't watched it. You can get the episodes on, uh, on iPlayer, I think. But just really, really uh, nice, sort of heartwarming thing to watch. I've got two main sort of experiences that I've had with fishing um, in my life, um, which I'm just going to share with you. Firstly, uh, about, uh, probably about four or five years ago, uh, I went on holiday uh, with my wife Deb's side of the family, uh, so it was myself, my brother-in-law Paul, uh, Deb, uh, Allegra, my daughter, wasn't born yet, but my son Zion was with us. He was about a toddler. He was about two, two and a half, something like that. Uh, my sister-in-law Julia was there, uh, and Mike and Davian Wilson, my parents-in-law. We went to uh, an island called Mull, which is just off the west coast of Scotland, uh, in the Hebrides. Some of you will know where that is. And we stayed in a place called Tobermory, which is uh, just here. And Tobermore is a fishing village. So you can see some of the lobster, I think they're lobster pots, lobster pots? Lobster pots, okay. So you see the lobster pots there, it's a fishing village. And when me and Paul got there, we decided that we were gonna have a real crack at fishing. We thought we got two weeks, we're gonna give it a real good go. There's a fish and tackle shop uh, just on the front there. And we went down one morning and bought all the gear, okay? Phrase is like, all the gear, no idea. Yeah, that was kind of where we were at bought all the gear Uh, we got told we asked we got loads of advice got told where to go got given the right sort of lures we were thinking we were going to fish off the off the rocks into the sea so the guy was like oh you want to try and catch sea bass you want to go after this type of stuff so you need this lure and we got all the stuff and even pointed us out to a point across the bay which was a good place to start which to me looked about 25-minute walk, let's say. Ended up being, what, like a two-hour and 25-minute walk, <laughs> I think, across to this other part of the bay. And anyway, we fished for probably about two and a half hours, knee-deep in water at times. And uh, I think we realised the tide was coming in, so we thought, we're going to pack it up. We caught absolutely nothing. We'd lost two or three of these really expensive lures that we'd bought, and we just thought, oh, my life, you know, this is dreadful. We're going we're to head off home, to re- only to realise that the place that we'd walked along to get there was now completely cut off by the tide and we suddenly i certainly panicked i haven't actually asked paul what his reaction was in that moment i don't think but i panicked in that moment and i was like well how are we going to get back So we walked a little bit further along. We realized, I was talking to Paul about this earlier, just to kind of get a grip on how tall this verge was, that we had to climb up near vertical verge that we were climbing up with. Paul had a bucket and a rod, and I had a fishing rod, and we were climbing up this grass verge, probably about 35, 40 feet near vertical. And I was panicking. I was like, this is not good. This isn't great. You know, water lapping in at the rocks at the bottom. Anyway, we've clearly lived to tell the tale. We're both here. And it was all right in the end. We got onto the coastal path at the top and we managed to walk back. And the holiday, to be honest, the fishing experience didn't get much better from there on in. We hardly caught, well, we didn't catch anything until the last day when we gave in and we bought a license. We went to a lock that was full of trout, supposedly full of trout. We caught two tiny brown trout on the last day. Uh, And that was our fishing experience for those two weeks. We must have spent a number of hours fishing on that holiday. But it was a fantastic time, a fellowship, a really great time, sitting around, chatting loads. Uh, had a really, really good fun. And then my second experience is drastically different to that, okay, completely different to that experience. We went on a holiday probably about two, two and a half years after that with my parents, uh, Andy and Gaynor, who many of you will know. And uh, my daughter Allegra had been born by that point, and my son Zion was about four, four and a half, and Deb, my wife, was with us. And as we drove into the cottage, I realized there was a fishing pond in, uh, in the the kind of the area that the cottage was. And I would bought the fishing rod, as I have done on every holiday that we've gone on since, I bought the, the fishing rods from Mole just in case there's a chance to go fishing. It's a place called Ivy Bridge in Devon, some of you will know where that is. And there was this fishing pond, so me and my son Zion decided we're going to get up one morning, we're going to go down to the pond and we're going to do some fishing, and I'm just hoping and praying it's going to be a better experience than the last one, you know. And we get down there, and we realise we've got no bait this time. So there's no bait, and often you use worms for fishing. So me and my son Zion were scrounging around in the dirt looking for worms for about half an hour, 45 minutes. And there's was something so fantastic, if I'm being honest, about scrounging around in the dirt with your four-and-a-half-year-old son looking for worms. It was a really, really great uh, experience, a great time. We found a bunch of worms, probably two or three, put one on the end of the hook and cast the line in. And I am not exaggerating here. 10 seconds after the line had gone into the water, a huge carp on the end of the line. And I'm reeling it in. And there's a moment where I lift it out of the water, and I look at Zion, and Zion looks at me, and I'm thinking in my head, I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. (laughs) And he looks at me like, I know you haven't got a clue what you're doing. (laughs) And uh, I reeled this fish in, I lifted it up, and it's massive, and I'm trying to hold it. And I just about get the hook out of its mouth. And it flaps its tail, hits the jetty, and splashes into the water with this almighty splash. So me and Zion decided after that, much like me and Paul, when the tide was coming in, that it was probably time to call it quits. Nobody knew what they were doing. We needed to (laughs) call it a day and go back in. Why am I talking about fishing? Okay, why has fishing got anything to do with what we're talking about tonight? Well, we've been uh, in a series um, in the first uh, chapter at the moment of the book of James, uh, the letter that James wrote to the early church. And um, why are we talking about fishing? Well, it's got a lot to do with some of the words and some of the stuff uh, that James is talking about tonight. So we're reading from chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. So if any of you want to get that out on your, on your Bibles, on your phones, uh, chapter 1 uh, of James's letter in the New Testament, verses 12 to 15, where we read these words. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test... That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Should we just pray together and start? Yeah, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to us. I pray now that you would open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts to receive all that you would have us receive tonight. Yeah, thank you that when we're weak, that you are strong. Thank you that you are a good God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've looked at previously in the first um, chapter of James. James is talking to a number of early followers, early church these guys from the early church would have been now scattered at the time that james is writing this letter among roman occupied world under immense persecution okay at that time and james has already mentioned in the previous verses of chapter one so this is um, from some a number of years ago now before pandemic before everything that we looked at these words together where james says consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, because it produces perseverance in you, and that perseverance matures you and makes you complete. And James is already mentioned in this about persevering. He's mentioned it at the very beginning of this, so we get the impression, again, when he mentions it here, in verses 12 to 15, that it's important, his message is really important. It's something that James really wants the readers of his letter to understand. He wants to say, no matter how hard it gets, don't give up following Jesus. It's really, really worth it to keep going. Firstly, James explains in those first uh, verses from chapter 1 that it builds character. And then in verse 12, he looks at, again, how um, it completes us, sorry, that completes us in verses 2, uh, two to 4, and how uh, he says in verse 12 here that, it, that we receive the crown of life. Okay? He uses that phrase, the crown of life, which is promised to followers, followers of Jesus, of course talking about the gift of eternal life in heaven with God. And these are the, these are, these are the verses that I really want to focus on tonight, 13 and 14, in a little bit more detail. And verses 13 and 14... When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And as we've already looked at, we can recognize that for some of these early followers, okay, the temptation they were probably facing under immense persecution is the temptation to give up every day trying to live for Jesus under immense persecution, the temptation to give up. I'm sure many of us can sit here and recognize potentially what that might have felt like. And perhaps even in our own minds and our own thoughts, think about, okay, well, yeah, if I was in that situation, it would be tough. I might be considering and thinking some of those thoughts too. It's just too difficult, Lord, to carry on like this. It's just too tough. I can't carry on. And this is, of course, not something that's isolated to history that we just read about in Scripture. This still goes on today. There are millions of our brothers and sisters around the world who live under immense persecution, going to church, living for Jesus, still today. My wife, Deb, this morning in the service, shared a video about a guy called Paul who had been sent to prison from his church in Eritrea for 10 years just for going to church and being a Christian. And there was something really powerful that he said when the guys came in to arrest them all during one of their services, one of the guys who was coming in to arrest them said, aren't you ashamed to be following Jesus and coming to church when it's illegal? And he said, no, I am not ashamed. I just That was really, really powerful. So yeah, so this is going on in and around the world today still. Um, and the temptation to give up must be pretty strong. And although the situation isn't the same in the UK here now, I did feel like as I was kind of putting this together that God wanted to say tonight that there may well be some of us here tonight that are feeling like giving up. And whether it's here tonight or watching on YouTube later, that there might be some of us that are just feeling like we can't carry on. Many of us have probably just had two of nearly two years of the toughest years that we, we've faced in our lifetimes, experiencing frustration, isolation, loneliness, loss, to name just a few things. Some of us will have had situations and difficulties before COVID, that's still going on now, that are nothing to do with the pandemic. Some of us have had things going on during the pandemic that are nothing to do with the pandemic and difficulties. I know of lots of different folks from the life of our church that have gone through really, really difficult times and struggles. And I believe that God wants to say to you tonight, don't give up. It is so, so worth it to keep going and to keep following Jesus. As well as that, I feel like God wants to talk to us tonight about our own separate battles with temptation in our own lives and us, and exactly the same with the early followers that James was writing to as well. We'll have had, yeah, potentially the temptation to give up, but also temptations and difficulties of all different kinds in our lives. Things that we struggle to avoid doing, things that we know perhaps hurt ourselves, hurt others, that we just find it really, really difficult to, to avoid. I think one of the first things... Uh, that James, when he writes, wants us to understand is our own personal responsibility for the sin and the temptation in our lives and the effect that it has on us. When I first read these verses, we as a family were watching and begun to watch um, some of the Indiana Jones films, so in order. And when I read these, I was thinking, as we were watching the Indiana Jones films, about kind of the, these verses. And bear with me here, but I kind of had this idea of like a new Indiana Jones film, like the uh, Indiana Jones and the Crown of Life. Some of you might have watched some of the Indiana Jones films at some point in your life, so some of you might be familiar with what what I'm going to talk about here. But the basis of an Indiana Jones film is that there's this prized possession that he's going after, and he has to, at the end of the film, kind of run this amazing gauntlet and avoid all these tricks and traps to get to this prize at the end. But what I think James is saying here is that life with God isn't like an Indiana Jones film. Okay, it's not, it's not the same. It isn't like God says, well, the prize is at the end and I've laid all these tricks and traps for you to get through in order for you to reach the prize at the end because we know, don't we, that we can't earn our salvation, we can't earn this crown of life, this gift of eternal life in heaven that God gives to us and he doesn't make us run this crazy gauntlet to, um, to, to achieve that. He wants us to understand that we all have a personal responsibility for the sin in our lives and the temptation and the effect that it might have. And James goes on to say in verse 14, he says these words, that each person is tempted when they are dragged away and enticed by their own evil desire. And it's that personal responsibility. And some of you might be sat here now thinking, okay, well, what about Satan? What about the devil's role in all this? Surely there is, is Satan out there who wants me to make these mistakes, who wants to trip me up. And yeah, 100%, that is the case. And James goes on to talk about that in chapter four. He talks about fleeing from Satan. He talks about getting away from Satan as far as you can and temptation and fleeing. And we'll get onto that uh, on another sermon at another time. But at the moment, in this particular part of uh, James's letter, I think he wants us to acknowledge that personal responsibility. And we all have areas that we struggle We all have areas where we might be able to say, yeah, this is a real area of weakness for me. This is somewhere that's a real struggle. This is an area of temptation. This is something that I find difficult. Some of us might have areas that we can say, yeah, that was an issue. That was a temptation. That was a difficulty. But I've mastered that, and I've overcome that now, and I actually find that a lot easier in my life. Some of us might have new struggles. Some of us might have struggles that come around at a certain time of year. We all have all sorts of different issues, temptations, struggles in our lives that are present. And they're all different from each other. But the one thing that we all have in common, the thread that runs through all of those things for all of us, is that innate desire inside of us to mess up, to do the wrong thing, to hurt ourselves, to hurt other people. That Sometimes, if we're honest, we just can't avoid Jewish rabbis have a name for it. They've actually given it a name in the Jewish faith, and they call it Yesahara. The evil impulse within is how that's translated directly. And that's something that we all have in common. James mentions two things that I just want to look into in a little bit more detail. And they're two Greek words, and I've delved into a little bit of Greek. There are people in this church who are far more adept with Greek than me, um, so any advice that any of, uh, that I have, I'll be well uh, happy to take that on board. But also, uh, there are people that are far more yeah adept at this than me. But there are two words uh, that are that are translated from Greek. Well, in our translations, it's kind of one phrase, one word, and one phrase. And um, in my NIV, they're translated dragged away. Oh, there's Indiana Jones, by the way. Sorry, I'm not keeping up with my uh, I'm not keeping up with my um, It's my PowerPoint. They're translated dragged away and enticed. And in my NRSV, uh, they're translated lured and enticed. Okay? So you can start to understand where the fishing kind of stuff from the beginning might be kind of tying in now. So the first word, enticed, okay, is, in the Greek, is deliazo. This is like the bait on the end of a hook. Okay, so when me and Zion were scrounging around in the dirt for the worms, that's kind of like the bait that you put on the end of the hook, okay, this deliazo. And uh, then lured, or dragged away, as it's translated in the NIV, is excelco, which is, yeah, to be physically dragged away. So the interpretation by that point, with that word, is that any sort of fish will have already bitten onto the hook and it will be being reeled in. Okay, those are those two kind of terms. So why would James... Use those two terms. Why would he choose to use those two terms in his letter to to these guys from the early church? Well, I think, firstly, it's because there will have been terms and things that these guys will have understood and understood well. Uh, Fishing was a huge part of a lot of communities. It was in and around all that they did. It was a way of life. It was a massive profession for a lot of people. So these would have been terms that people would have understood, much like, I guess, in Tobermory, perhaps less nowadays, but there'd have been a lot more people in Tobermory that would be able to tell you about fishing than there probably is in Sutton Goldfield, I would imagine. And like a lot of times in Scripture, you find in all sorts of different books, in all sorts of different letters, all the letters that Paul writes, loads of different areas of Scripture where the writers use uh, examples and use things. In all of the parables, Jesus is speaking in the Gospels, to people, in ways that he knows that they'll be able to grasp and to be able to understand, because it's things that they are doing daily. It speaks in to daily life, okay? And that's why I feel firstly James is using that, and then secondly, I feel like he's using these terms, because as we've said earlier, he wants us to understand a little bit more detail about if we don't do something about the temptation in our lives, if we don't act on it, if we don't do something about it and we're not careful, the effect that it might have on us, and understand that in a little bit more detail. Okay, so first we've got this word, deliazo. The area of temptation entices you in. It makes you believe, and this is something that I can definitely recognise in my own life, it makes you believe that this area that isn't helpful for you is the, actually the answer to your problems. It's actually the thing that's going to make you feel better. And I just wrote down a few sentences of my own experience of things that this, that this kind of uh, temptation might have kind of lied to me in these ways. So the thing is, you know, it might say to you, it will make you, this will make you feel better if you do this. This will make you more popular. This will make you feel better about yourself. This will make you view yourself better. This will relax you. This will make you feel less angry. This will get you more money. This will do this. Do you know what I mean? These kind of things that just begin to draw you in and entice you. These false truths, just like the promise of a meal on the end of a hook for a fish. Just like that promise. But the promise for the fish has strings attached, doesn't it? And for us, it's just a false, false truth that these things are going to make us feel better when we know the truth is that they actually hurt us and they hurt other people. So in fishing terms, as soon as the fish bites, okay, bites on the hook, it takes the bait, it's taken it, it's now at the ex Where it's been dragged away and it's been lured in. And the same goes for us that once we give in to the temptation, once we bite, we're then at the point where we're being dragged away from the life that God has from us. Once we give in to that, we are being dragged away. Now, you might say to me, it is still possible for a fish, and this happened to me and Paul a number of times when we were in Mole, once you've got it on the hook, to actually, for it to still get off. Okay, the fish can still get off the hook, and we can get off the hook as well after we've bitten. But for a fish, it has to struggle and it has to fight, and it's really difficult for a fish to get off the hook a lot of the time. And when it does eventually escape its fate, if it manages to, it's left with lasting damage. It leaves a pain and a scar, so for a fish it might be a little hook inside the mouth, it might be desperately tired and battered and bruised from fighting. But it's left with pain, it's left with scars. And I'm sure many of us might be able to relate to that in our own lives. So by the point of Excelco being dragged away, lured in, we find ourselves in a bit of trouble. So surely the key and the point for us as followers of Jesus is to avoid that first bit, the Deleazzo. I don't know whether I'm pronouncing these words right, by the way, so apologies if I'm not, but Deleazzo the point of enticement, that initial point of the temptation at all costs. Because they're told in verse 15, James tells us where it leads to. And he says, says, sin fully grown, when it isn't dealt with, leads to death. James puts it in comparison for us. A life led by those who persevere through the many trials and difficulty that faith in God and life living for God brings leads to the crown of life, eternal life in heaven with God, a life led separate from God, without repentance, without the acknowledgement of doing things wrong, making mistakes, in sin, in difficulty, leads to death, James says. So how do we avoid this deliaza? Then if that is the key for us to avoid the point of enticement, how do we do that? And I've got just a number of suggestions, Um, and I can only really talk from my own experience and things that I've experienced in my own life in these areas, and just some things that I've found particularly helpful for me in these areas. Firstly, it's to identify areas of weakness. We talked uh, just a second ago. We'll all have different areas. We'll all have different struggles. We'll have things we've struggled with for years. We'll have things we've struggled with um, um, perhaps for just brief periods of time. But in order to know what we need to avoid, we need to know where our areas of weakness are. And we might be able to put our hand up now and say, yeah, okay, this is an area for me. This is an area where I find things really difficult. This is an area where I really struggle. And we might not be able to do that because there are some things in our lives which will come out later on, and there are also things that we don't recognise in ourselves that someone else might recognise in us. And that can be quite uncomfortable sometimes to think about that. But one of the best things that I have ever done in my life, and I encourage every uh, follower of Jesus to do is to be accountable with somebody, is to meet up with somebody and just talk with somebody that you know loves you and cares about you, and um, just having that kind of relationship. I have, um, so when I first became a Christian, I started an accountability triplet with two guys from uh, my Bible college, and that really saved me early on, to be honest, in terms of dealing with a lot of stuff that I was going through, and just chatting to them honestly and knowing that when they were feeding into me and talking to me about things that they thought I needed to work on. That was just really, really helpful for me because I knew it was coming from a place of love and I could trust these guys and I knew that it was really good. And I've had that experience as well um, in, the, in the more recent months with other folks uh, that I've met with. And I just find that really, really worthwhile doing. Um, okay, so identifying the areas is the first thing. How do we identify the areas of weakness in our lives? And accountability is probably the number one thing that I can think of there. But it might be that just we can recognize things in our own lives and just say, yeah, this is an area that I need to try and be better at. This is an area I need to try and avoid. Number two is then work out. Once you've identified some of the areas, is work out strategies to help. Just talked about accountability, and accountability is brilliant for this as well. So just talking with friends about, okay, well, what can I do to actually avoid these areas and to actually challenge some of these things? Have you got somebody that you can confess things to, that you can pray with, that you can talk to and just say, this is what's going on, can we pray together? I just need to get this off my chest. And something that somebody told me a long, long time ago, which I found really, really helpful and has really helped me in my life, that sometimes the devil there's a lot of damage in the secret place. When we don't tell anybody about the things that are going on, the devil just tends to slowly chip away and sometimes say things like, you know, you can't tell anyone about this. You can't, you know, let this out. You know, you're, you're so bad at this, you keep messing up. And as soon as we tell somebody else about that area and about that issue, it's like it's out in the open. And it's like that chipping away that's done in the secret can't happen anymore because we've told somebody, we've welcomed somebody else into the situation. Then when you pray together, you welcome Jesus into the situation and you start working through it together. And I've always found that really, really helpful and that comes from accountability. And the second thing I'm working out strategies to help is are there areas where it's just really difficult to actually exercise self-control And are there areas that we just need to avoid altogether? Doing things, uh, watching certain TV programs, films, listening to certain type of music, reading certain type of books, going to certain events. Are there things that we just need to avoid? And this isn't, being a youth worker, when I've talked to people in the past, this isn't always a very popular one to talk about, to be honest. But sometimes, like James talks about in chapter 4, which we just talked about, about fleeing from these things, sometimes that is the only option to avoid stuff. And it might be that actually, that might be for a period. It might be for a period of time, and it isn't forever. But it's just for, let's say, a few months, where you just need to lay something down for a bit, because you're finding it not very helpful, and you're finding it too difficult. It might be that actually you need to lay that down for, for a long period of time, maybe forever. You just need to let it go. But I always, you know, talk to, talk to young people about this area in particular. And, you know, you might have somebody come up to me and say, well, oh, you know, I'm really struggling going to parties and getting drunk. I'm finding that really, really difficult. and finding it a real temptation. But you say, why don't you just try and perhaps not go to the next party and just see how that affects it. Oh, you know, no, I couldn't do that. And I think at some point we have to make a decision, don't we? Well, is our obedience and our want to, and desire to follow Jesus and do the things that we know to be right, Is the desire for that more or less than sometimes going to some of these things? So sometimes, like James says, we just have to flee. That might be a period of time. That might be for a long period of time. So work out strategies to help. Accountability. Sometimes just avoiding stuff that's not helpful. Number three. Know, and this is probably the most important one that I want to talk about tonight, to be honest, is knowing and understanding what God thinks about you. And not just what he thinks about you, what he's done for you. We have the absolute privilege on a Monday night of having a bunch of really fantastic guys around our house. Me and Paul lead a Bible study with Joe Harrison on a Monday night. We have a load of young adult lads come around and we just study the Bible together. We read and we pray and uh, we're going through Mark's gospel at the moment. And one of the first sessions that we did looked at the baptism of Jesus. And uh, does anybody know what happens straight after the baptism of Jesus in, the, uh, in Mark's gospel? Does anybody know where he goes next? So he goes straight out into the wilderness to be tempted. Like literally straight away. He told the Spirit drives Jesus out into the wilderness. That's the next thing that happens. And one of the things that we spent a while talking about and discussing, which we found really, really interesting, is what God the Father says to Jesus right at the end of his baptism. And many of you will be familiar with these words, but God the Father says to Jesus at the end of his baptism, this is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. And I don't think that's a coincidence that it happens right there, just before Jesus is about to go off and face one of the toughest things that he's going to face in his entire ministry. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think God the Father wanted Jesus to know exactly how he felt about him before he was going to go off and face that, tough test. And I think the reason for that is because sometimes when we get into these negative cycles, and I am so guilty of this, I'm really, really guilty of this, if I'm being honest with you guys, that we get ourselves into negative cycles. Some people might think, well, if I'm speaking negatively to myself, oh, I keep getting this wrong, I keep struggling with this, that actually that might be good motivation to stop doing something. I'm not so sure I think often when we get into that cycle of negativity and saying, I'm no good at this, I keep messing this up, I keep getting this wrong, that actually that gets us more entangled in the stuff that we're doing. Because we just think, well, I'm no good at this, so what's the point in even trying? What's the point in even trying to stop doing this? Because I'm just no good anyway. And we get ourselves into those negative thought patterns. And I'm going to talk just in a second after the next point, just about beating ourselves up and being difficult on ourselves and how that's not helpful, but it is something that I'm guilty of and I do do. But I think it's so, so important. Do you have a time in the morning where you have, or or any time in the day where you have time to spend with God, reading scripture, praying, spending time with him? You know, I I just uh, did a, we have staff devotions every Monday morning before our staff meeting. And I did our staff devotion a couple of weeks ago and I felt that um, Jesus had just laid on my heart that sometimes I treat Jesus more like a colleague than a best friend. Like I spend my time with him like an admin task, and then I'm gone. And I'm doing what I'm doing the rest of the day. And I just got challenged by that, and I was just like, actually, I think Jesus wants me to sit with him and treat him like a best friend. Because I think he just wants to tell me what he thinks about me, and he wants to tell me what he wants to tell me, and I don't give him enough time to do that. And that was a challenge for me. So do you know what God thinks about you? Do you know what God has done for you? All of these things that we get wrong, and we do, and we make mistakes. We were just talking about this in the prayer time before the service tonight. One of the things that I really wanted to shine through tonight, where's Jesus, first and foremost. I want Jesus to shine through because he's incredible and he's already had the victory. He's already taken on all this stuff for us. He's taken on all the pain. He's taken on all of the, the wrong things that we do. And he's done that for each and every single one of us so that if we turn to him and accept him, that we can be forgiven from all of these things. And do you know that? Do you know that that's what Jesus has done for you? Do you know that that's what he's done for you? Do you know how he feels about you? Do you know how much he loves you and how pleased he is with you? And do you know what he's done for you? Really, really important. And then my last one is kind of linked to him, but it's just pray, pray, and pray again. We need to be praying. I believe prayer works. I've felt like it's worked in my life. I know it's worked in my life. And there are times when I've just needed to ask for God's help, ask for his forgiveness, ask for his strength, ask for his help over and over and over again. And sometimes the prayers that I've prayed haven't been answered straight away. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it takes a little while for these things to work themselves out. Sometimes it takes quite a long while. But I believe just spending that time and spending that time praying to God and asking for his help, we go on that journey with him to work through these things. So those are the four things. And just to finish, just in, in, in kind of talking about beating ourselves up and, and one of the things that I was just talking about there about, about not beating ourselves up. If you're that type of person, you feel like you get yourself into these negative thought cycles and you really struggle with this type of thing. I feel like I'm exactly the same, and um, I don't feel that's God. What God wants us to do, He doesn't want us to beat ourselves. If He wants us to understand what He feels about us, I've just actually started um, reading. I'm about, I don't know, a third of the way through of this book that I was recommended. we went to, uh, myself and Sarah and a few of the volunteers, went to a youth work conference a couple of weeks ago. Mike Pilavaciu, some of you all know, uh, recommended this book. He actually said if you don't have enough money to buy it, that you should sell your grandmother to pay for it, which I thought <laughs> it's quite an interesting thing to say. But as soon as I heard him say that, I was like, absolutely, I need to go out and buy this book. And if you're the type of person who is beaten up, beats yourself up and finds things really difficult and is constantly in those negative thought cycles and you want to know what God thinks about you and what God's got for you, I really strongly recommend uh, just reading this book. It's called Gentle and Lowly. It's by a guy called Dane Ortland, um, and it's just a fantastic, fantastic book uh, of truth. Um, yes, yeah, so I recommend that highly. So yeah, we're not to beat ourselves, but because the good news for us, after all's been said and done here tonight, after everything we've said, is that we have a saviour, Jesus, who died and took all the punishment that we deserve so that we can be forgiven and we can be right before God. All we need to do is turn to him and admit that we get things wrong, we mess up. We've got that ability, haven't we, to mess up. And we just need to receive his forgiveness again that he so freely gives. And that's what we're going to do together now. We're just going to spend a couple of minutes just in the quiet, um, just reflecting um, and thinking, just spending a bit of time with God. There was a couple of occasions on the, the, the Youth Work Conference. Um, the Youth Work Conference was fantastic, by the way. I'm going to sound like I'm bashing it a bit now, but it was absolutely brilliant. But it felt to me that we'd had some amazing teaching. We had some such incredible teaching from all sorts of folks. And we would rush straight into worship afterwards. And it felt to me sometimes like I was like, Lord, I just need time to process this and I can't process it. And I just felt like I just need to, and perhaps that's something, you know, difficult in me that I need to work through, but I just felt like I wanted just to give us a couple of minutes just to reflect and spend a bit of time with God, just to spend some time with him, just thinking through some of these things. And then we're going to pray two prayers just together, I'm just going to pray for us. And the first prayer is just a prayer of confession, just offering things to God that we know we're not doing great and we're struggling with and that are difficult. That's it's just praying a prayer, a confession, and asking again for God's forgiveness and, and healing in our lives. So that's going to be the first prayer. And then the second prayer is to be prayed, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because this stuff keeps coming, doesn't it? And the challenges and the difficulties keep coming, and they will keep coming. And actually, we need to be filled with God's Holy Spirit in order to be changed and to grow more like Jesus and to, to, to be able to battle through some of this stuff. We need His Spirit. So we're going to pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit as well to finish. Um, So why don't we just have, uh, yeah, just just a couple of minutes silence, just reflecting, um, and then we'll, uh, the band can come back up and we'll pray together, and then after that we'll just enter um, a time of worship. So let's just have just a couple of minutes um, just of quiet together. You are so, so gracious. you love us so much that you sent your son to die so that we could be saved and thank you that when we are weak when we feel like we can't carry on when we feel like giving up when we feel like following you is just too difficult that when we are weak you are strong that your strength is made perfect in our weakness And we're sorry, we admit now we're sorry for the things that we know we've done wrong. The areas that haven't honoured you, that we've brought before you now, perhaps that we've just shared with you. And that whether this is the first time or the thousandth and first time that we've prayed this prayer, we thank you that you love us just the same and that doesn't change. Like the prodigal son, you welcome us back with open arms, every time but we ask you for that forgiveness again for your boundless grace that brings us back every time in Jesus name Amen If you'd like to be seated I invite Sam and Dan to answer some of our questions
1: Marvelous well Sam thank you very much for bringing us God's word, and so that was a really um, practical and helpful message. And I love the analogy of bringing in the idea of the fishing and helping us understand the, the context of James's passage. So thank you. And uh, we'll start with a nice light question. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the question is: Why didn't Noah do much fishing on the ark?
0: <laughs> Sorry, was that why didn't Noah? Why do didn't yeah? Why didn't Noah do much fishing on yeah, the ark? A he, lot only of animals had, on
1: there. he only had two worms. <laughs> oh, that was terrible. Sorry.
0: Okay. Okay, let's get to the serious stuff. <laughs> Sorry.
1: The ice has been broken. <laughs> okay, so this is like a full on question.
0: Okay, great.
1: Straight in at the deep end. So, if we are tempted, as James said, by our own evil desire, hmm. does that mean that all people are evil? And furthermore, are Christians evil?
0: Uh, No, I don't think all people are evil, and I don't think Christians are evil. If we go back to a bit, kind of in the middle of of, um, what I was saying earlier, there's that, we all share it in common, the ability just to mess up and get things wrong. Uh, We're born into a sinful world, we make mistakes, we make mistakes from the moment we're born, where we annoy our parents and do things that are really (laughs) awful, to the point where we die, and we can't get away from that. It doesn't make us evil, it makes us sinful. Um, and it makes us, yeah, people who, who sin. The, the, I really do like the Yesahara, that, yes, Sahara, the the name, that like Jewish rabbis give it a name for that, that just an impulse that we all have to, to tend to, to mess up and do the wrong thing, like that desire and that impulse, but I don't think that makes us evil at all, no. Mm. Um, I think we're sinful. And it's only by the grace of God and, and the immense mercy and love that Jesus has for us, that we can be right before God, and, mm-hmm. and we don't, you know, we, we know we don't deserve that. Mm. We don't deserve that gift, but God gives us it freely. Mm. Um, I think perhaps it's evil. to do
1: with semantics, isn't it? Mm. As in, what does evil mean? Mm. And I think what you just said there, that we can only be right with God by His grace, mm. in a sense, then perhaps some people would say, well, yes, we're evil from. A, from God's standard of perfection and mm. holiness, none of us meets, in that sense, we're yeah. evil. But compared to one another, yeah, I understand what you're saying. It's you the say. language,
0: isn't it? Yeah, I wouldn't say that humanity is evil. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't use that language. But, I understand but exactly. there's something the within us. Absolutely. Where we that sinful up. desire. Do the wrong the, thing, 100%. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, we've got two questions which have just come in, hot off the press. Correct. Okay. So um, the first one, Sam, is what's the difference between temptation and genuine good desires, so obviously both of them coming from within, how can we always tell the difference? Especially if say like, it's oh. a, a desire for something that in itself is not necessarily sinful.
0: Um, I think it's a really good question. I think, um, I'll do what Donald does and I'll say that to give myself time to think. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so an example I'll give is that, um, and hopefully you understand where I'm coming from with this, I, um, so I, at the moment we've got a Nintendo Switch, but I used to have an Xbox, I used to have an Xbox One, and I used to play that quite a bit, and I used to find it really quite helpful to, um, to de stress and to mm. relax. I enjoy playing games, I now enjoy really playing games with my son Zion, um, really find that fun, but I also enjoy playing video games on my own. I've always quite enjoyed that. Mm. I don't think there's anything evil and wrong with a with a video game per no. se, I don't think. Any, I think there are some which are potentially unhelpful for certain people, but I think I don't think there's anything wrong specifically with that. But I did get a sense—I can't remember how many years ago it was now—but where just I, I would come off my Xbox after playing it and I would feel down. I would just feel not great, and I just got a, the only way I could describe is like a stirring in my spirit. Like I just felt like perhaps I needed to lay it down for a bit, mm. and. I did, and I, at first I thought, right, I'll give it like a week, like I won't play it, and a week turned into a month, and then a month turned into two months, and I think it was like six months where I just didn't play at all. Mm. And it wasn't that there was anything wrong with... So like now I play on the Nintendo Switch and I, and I use that, and again, there's nothing wrong with the games itself. So I think, I think the, the intention for me to want to use a game to de-stress is fine and there's nothing wrong with that it's a good intention for me to switch off and to relax because we all need to switch off and relax it's just i felt like there was something that was going on when i was playing that wasn't it wasn't helpful for me in that moment mm. and there was just a stirring in my spirit which made me feel like this is tempting me into something which isn't helpful yeah and that then made me turn away from it so there was like a stirring in my spirit so
1: it's something within our heart yeah
0: that would make something Absolutely. right or wrong for you at and a certain time that's it for me and I, that's how i felt and i also think i mentioned something to do with talking to young people about not going to things and actually fleeing from stuff and not being in certain situations. And I think one of the things I think is really important about that is that certain folks will say, well, actually, it's good for me to go and relate to my friends and be with my mates and all that. And I think that absolutely 100% is true. Mm. It's really important for us to be in those environments and to be ministering to people and loving people and being really good friends and serving people. I think that's absolutely 100% important. I think just sometimes we need to weigh up whether the temptation for us in those environments is too much. It's not like the desire to go to the party is the issue. Does that make sense? Like the temptation mm. is the issue. I just think that sometimes th- there's things there that can draw us too much. Can we handle what's going on there? Does that make sense? So the actual initial desire to go and to be with our friends isn't the difficult thing. Mm. I don't know whether I'm answering the question, <laughs> to be honest, but it's actually there's temptation within that. Yeah. Do you, do you kind of get what I'm saying? I was thinking? I
1: understand what you're saying. I was thinking when you talked about fleeing, mm. practical illustration from the Bible, like Joseph, and he fleed yep. from um, Potiphar's right. wife. He just knew he had to get out of yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and one other thought, though, is in Jeremiah, it talks about our heart is deceitful above all things. And so sometimes I know, at least in my life, there's moments where sometimes I justify something that deep down I know is wrong. And yeah. I try to kid myself. No, it's okay. And it's only afterwards when I've messed up yeah. and I'm saying sorry to God. And then he shows me, yeah, you knew what you were doing. Was yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And this leads into the second question cool. that we've just had. Um, I think it's relatable. How important is reading scripture in avoiding temptation? And perhaps in showing us our sin and our, our own hearts and tendencies?
0: Absolutely. Well, I think you've just used two examples from Scripture there, which are great examples of, of, you know, uh, exactly what we're talking about. I think in terms of, again, the third point that's up on the screen, just knowing how God feels about you, I think that's the the, the, the really important thing for me. And I think that's the point. I I was worried about the the sermon tonight, to be honest, that it's a bit doom and gloom. And actually, it's not doom and gloom because Jesus has had the victory and he has already taken on as sin, and he's he's dealt with this stuff, but we need to know and understand what God thinks of us and what He's done for us in order to actually be able to go out and and face that stuff and actually mm-hmm. have the strength to do it. And I think it's so so important. Like when I talk to myself, okay, when I'm doing things wrong, often, like I said, it's not motivation for me to get better. Often, it just drives me deeper and deeper down into a negative thought cycle. So. Example would be like, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing something that I know is not great, and I, and I just kind of feel like, oh, well, I need to stop doing this. And then I just think, well, what's the point? Like, you know, this isn't, you know, nobody's seeing this. This isn't an issue, do you know what I mean? like you just And, and it just drives you down into a more and more negative thought cycle. And actually, knowing and understanding how God feels about me gives me the strength to, to not do it. It makes mm. me almost feel like, okay, well, there's a reason not to do this. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and I think that kind of plays into an apologies if this is like another question that comes on. One of the reasons why preaching through James is quite difficult is because James fundamentally is criticized as a book for being very works based, so talking about earning our salvation and, and doing things in order to, to like earn god's favor almost mm. And that is, we know that that isn't right, that we don't earn our salvation. It's a bit like that Indiana Jones thing I was talking about. It doesn't work that we run through this gauntlet in order to earn the prize at the end. That isn't what works. And I think, you know, I was talking to you earlier, Dan, like Luther, um, many of us will know, uh, Luther said it was the epistle that he wishes was left out of the New Testament. (laughs) He wishes it was the epistle that was not included. Mm -hmm. And I think often James is really misunderstood, I think, a lot of times, because I think rather than it being... Um, like works earns our salvation. It's when we realise what God's done for us, what he thinks about us and what he did for us and how much he loves us. Surely then our response is to live well for him Mm. and to live in a way which obeys him and honours him and glorifies him. Mm. Surely that should be the response that we have when we see what he's done for us and how he feels about us. So I think in scripture, when we understand that, that's the response, if that makes sense. And if we don't get that, then we're just striving, and mm-hmm. it's not—it's not—you it's, know what I mean. It doesn't mean anything. Whereas, like, I feel like, yeah. And 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 for me, when I became a Christian, just before my 18th birthday, I remember that was the first time that I ever understood how much God loved me and and what what He'd done for me, and that all the things, all the mistakes that I'd made—it wasn't that they didn't matter. And I, you know what I mean. And I do want to say that because you know it wasn't that they didn't matter, but it was that. Jesus had paid the price for them, that he'd he'd done what he'd done. For me, then, it was like my response was, this is incredible. Now I want to change my life for you, Jesus. I want to live in a way which is just for you and and honouring you. Mm -hmm. And I don't get that right all the time. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. none none of us do get it right all the time, do we? But it's just that's the response Mm -hmm. from the love that God gives us rather than that being the way that we earn our salvation. And I think that's a really important thing. And that's why it's difficult to... To preach through james sometimes because it, it's criticized for being very works heavy
1: mm-hmm. that's a beautiful thing that you just described that our obedience is not in terms of earning god's mm-hmm. salvation or quote-unquote not losing mm-hmm. our salvation it's in response to who god is our love mm-hmm. for him because he's first loved us as we just sang mm-hmm. there yeah. and that is um, the heart of our wanting to uh, follow christ it's because of who he is and that's um, subtle isn't it but it makes the world of difference and of course he gives us his holy spirit too it's not just about our trying to follow him but he is um, making us he's made us new creations and he's um working out his salvation in us and that's um amazing to know that he's not left us to our own devices it's not just our effort but he's empowering us each and every day okay last last question sam You talked about, um, it's a practical one, about being accountable to people. Um, The question is, should all Christians be accountable to someone else? And what if we struggle to trust people?
0: I think struggling to trust people, yeah, is difficult. I I think... If you want to be accountable to somebody or you want to be mentored by somebody potentially and, and have that relationship, then please get in touch with the church because I, we will organise that for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we will organise somebody to meet with you that you can trust. We have people who, who meet up with folks and, and you can trust. I would say, yeah, if you can't trust people, that that is difficult. And I think um, that's something that would need prayer and need um yeah, it's tough. I've been very fortunate in my life. That I've had, so when I talked about the accountability triplet, that I, it's going to sound contradictory to what I've just said now, but the accountability triplet that I met with at a Bible college, I didn't actually know those guys that well before I met with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a certain level of, I suppose, faith and, and trust in that, that these guys were good guys. And um, yeah, one of the guys is still one of my best friends now, I meet up with him quite a lot. Um, and we get on really, really well. so I suppose sometimes it is a little bit of a um, let say leap of faith, but sometimes it is a little bit of a we have to put ourselves out there and be vulnerable sometimes I think mm. um, a little bit. I would say um, meeting with with a friend is is a good thing a, and share as much as you want to share. but I think as much as you can meet with somebody and be honest and open, one of the things I always um, talk about being a youth worker. Um, is a thing called the Jahari window. I don't know whether anybody's ever come across this. It's a really cool like, mentoring that? tool thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you imagine a four-pane window and there's four panes of glass, and when you meet with people, this is the reason why I think accountability is so fantastic. If you imagine the top left-hand pane of a four-pane window, mm-hmm. if you're meeting with, if I'm meeting with you, Dan, yeah. and I'm sort of being mentored by you, let's say there'll be things that I know about that are true about me, and there'll be things that you know are true about me. So they're things that are like out in the open. That's the top left-hand mm-hmm. thing. And then the top right hand window is like things that I know true about myself, but you don't know them about me yet because I haven't told you. So they're things that I keep secret. And those are things that come out as we meet and we chat. And then the bottom left hand corner is things that you have recognized in me that I haven't recognized in myself yet. And that's like a different area that comes out in accountability. And then the fourth, the bottom right-hand pain, is like things that you don't know about me and things that I don't know about me. But they're things that hopefully will come out as you meet together, as you Mm -hmm. go through. And I just find that such a helpful way of looking at accountability and the importance of it. Mm -hmm. Because there are things that we're aware of in ourselves that it's good to talk about. There are things that that we don't know about ourselves that it's good to kind of get out and just deal with and tackle Mm -hmm. with. And there are things that... um, yeah, that we know about ourselves that we need to share and there are things that will come out through that relationship. And I just find that really, really helpful. Mm. So I think struggling to trust people is difficult, but I think accountability is so key. And I think every account- Christian, ideally, in my opinion, should be accountable to somebody. Mm. I just think it's super helpful. It's really helped me out in my mm. own journey. I don't know that's massively answered the bit about... That um, was really helpful. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, the bit about not trusting, but yeah
1: yeah i was chatting with um Briggsie briefly last week and he said that um you know one thing about not being able to come to church for such a long time it's been like a coal outside of fire and how god has made us for relationship yeah. and to encourage one another yeah, and to be in community cool, yeah. but relationships are hard aren't they because yeah. we're broken people and we hurt one another and mm. um but god is with us and he's healing us and yeah thank you for your your tips it was really helpful right, thanks, and thanks for all the questions